God bless you, everybody. Welcome again to another amazing, impactful night here at the Resurrection Center. By the grace of God, I am Mr. Wayland Point here, allowed to teach again tonight. Tonight we are going to be teaching about true worship or a lifestyle of worship. So I'm, at this time, I ask everybody to go to the first book of Timothy, chapter 2. And while you guys are getting that scripture, reverence, sorry, worship is reverence offered to a divine being. It's a form of religious practice with its creed or rituals. Or in other words, think of it this way. Worship is a form of relational practice with sound doctrine or belief through faith. And this is what God asks of us. Just to not only worship Him, which is the most important part, but our everything we do on an everyday basis, everywhere we go, everything we say and do, we should be worshiping Him. So at this time, I'm going to read the Word of the Lord, and I'm going to ask everybody to please rise. And the word of the Lord states, in the first book of Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus himself, human, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and telling the truth, and I am not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, Lift up holy hands without anger or argument. Thank you, Lord God, for whatever you're going to put in my heart to speak to my brothers and sisters here and those who are watching. Let it be from your throne and your throne alone. In your precious name, I thank you and pray for whatever is going to come out on this night. Amen. So I'm going to break it down a little bit. So the first thing the Apostle Paul says, I urge petitions. What are petitions? In other scriptures, you might see the word supplications. So supplication and a petition is something you're asking. You're asking specifically for God to do for you or for somebody else. It's the same thing like if I, my daughter came up to me and asked me for a car because now she's 18, she has her license, she wants a car. That's her petition to me, to find out some way or one or another to find that to come to path. But when we're praying in a true petition, we have to do it first and foremost with respect. Remember who you're praying to. Remember who you're petitioning from that you're, at, you're asking for something specific. But not only are you going to do it with respect, but you want to do it with bold confidence. God doesn't want somebody who is just sitting there like, God, can you please do this for me? You know, if it's your will. You no, know, you got to be bold about how you pray. God wants somebody that has a heart on fire that's going to pray with boldness, with confidence, and with the fire that will set the streets ablaze and get the demons running. So always pray 
petition or intercede with bold confidence. But always do it with respect. Remember, the spiritual realm, the stronger we are, the only reason why we can stand up to it is because of the blood of Christ and the power and authority that he gives us. It's nothing we could do. Trust me, you believe there's nothing on this planet we could do to have the power and authority to overcome any demonic force. It's only by Jesus Christ, the blood that he uses to protect us, it cleanses us, and the power and authority that we're given through our salvation when we accept Jesus Christ into our lives and the Holy Spirit into our hearts. Number two is prayer. We've discussed prayer numerous times, months after months, time after time. Prayer is just basic communication with the Lord. It's me having a conversation with my daughter or my future wife whenever she, God brings her here. The only way I can build a relationship with her is I got to learn more about her. I got to talk to her. I got to ask her questions. I, I got to answer her questions. I got to be willing to listen. Prayer is a relationship. It's the only way we can learn more about God, what he wishes for us, what he desires for us, and how we can improve in our lives, how we can solve the problems we're dealing with day after day. Believe it when I say, like, and pastor said it numerous times, we're always going to have problems. But the thing is, there's more solutions to those problems. We just get so wrapped up in that problem that we can't see the solutions. Now, the solutions can be easy. Now, there's been times where I've had a problem at work, and I could have figured out to save my life. Now, I'm in my boss's office. We're talking about it for three hours. And what I love about it, with talking to him, we bounce stuff back and forth, and after three hours... The answer came is like, how did I not see this years ago? Forget a couple of hours ago when I started complaining about it. How do we never notice this years ago? The solution is always there. It's our mindset. It's our experiences. It's our willingness to let go of what's in front of us to see what's beyond. And the solutions are there. They're right behind the door. We just got to be willing to pray and ask God to help us open those doors to see the solutions amongst many other things. The third one is intercession. Intercession is your request for other people. Prayer could be for other people. It could be for yourself, families, whatever. But intercession is specifically you're battling for somebody else. If somebody's sick, if somebody's hurt, if somebody's in a car accident. I know I've said a testimony here years ago where I think it was a weekend where my Myself, Brother Chris, and another gentleman that used to come here were in the ER on a weekend, and I saw a young man run into the ER with his lifeless daughter. And in that moment, I almost wanted to break down in tears because in that moment, I saw my daughter hanging lifeless. So I called Chris and then the other gentleman. I said, we got to go to the chapel to pray right now. So us three start interceding for the life of this little girl that God would have mercy on her, bring her back to life, heal her. We don't know what happened, but we just ask God to bring life back into this little girl. So give or take 10, 15 minutes later, we go back downstairs. We purposely head that way just to kind of hear what happened because we can't go ass. We can't butt our noses in because that's HIPAA violations. We could get fired. But just walking by, we heard the baby crying. So I started taking God right down in there because he heard our prayer. He heard us interceding on the behalf of a little girl. Now, she was a family. I had no idea who she was. 
But God loves a joyous heart who prays for others, especially those in need. We have so much. So why can't we pray for others who have so little? It's because we're selfish. Let's be honest. We are the most selfish race or entity on this planet. Animals stay, still do what they decide to do. They all go past the boundaries the Lord set for them. But we like to break those boundaries. We like to do what we're not supposed to do. And we like to keep pushing the envelope to take what we want. That's not how it was supposed to be. So we got to break through our selfishness and see that our brothers and sisters all over the world are in desperate need of prayer and intercession. There's brothers and sisters across the, the world who have to hide in basements to pray to the same Lord we do, who, if they get caught, they could be thrown in jail, they could be abused, and they could be killed. And I remember um, last year, God was putting it heavy on my heart to constantly pray for like Japan and Korea, for all them. And like I've, uh, I've preached here before, I always ask God to help my prayer life evolve. So in that moment, I started praying that the enemy, would, whenever they got close to our brothers and our sisters, that God would push them in the other direction, that they would get confused, they would get lost, that God would do whatever they had to so they couldn't find our brothers and sisters so that they could continue to worship God and pray to God. That is just a couple of quick examples of how powerful and how effective this intercession can work. You can intercede for yourself, but you can also intercede for others. Don't you take this for granted. It works. And one of the most important ones, number four, is thanksgiving. We have to give worship. One of the most important things about worship is you have to be thankful for everything God gives you. Pastor used his life as an example that when he wakes up, the first thing he do or does is, thank you, Holy Spirit, for allowing me to live another day. I never thought of it that, that way, so I started forcing myself to do it. So I thank God that I'm allowed to wake up to see another day, that I'm still breathing, that I'm allowed to get out of bed on my own. I don't need a wheelchair. I don't need crutches. I don't need somebody else's help. I can do it on my own. So I thank God for the ability of getting out of bed, for having a car, for having a roof over my head, the bed I'm sleeping on, the blankets to keep me warm, the clothes on my back. I start thanking God for everything that pops in my mind because without him, I'd be on the streets. And let's be honest, without God, I would have been underground, six feet under at least 10, 11 years ago. So I have to be thankful. And I'm saying this, gratitude is critical because people see you and your behavior out in the world. If you're living a life that's not one of gratitude, they see it. And if you're not a grateful person, especially if they know you serve a powerful God, they're going to wonder why I should ever go serve a God that you're not grateful for. He gives us so much stuff. Again, it's selfishness. It's pride. We have to put all those aside. We have to fight for God to dig all that out of us. The Holy Spirit help us learn to master and discipline ourselves and to see it in a, a greater way. So now I we're going to go back to verse 2, which states, For kings and all those who are in authority. Now, this is talking about Thanksgiving being made for everyone, for kings and all of those who are in authority. 
I'm bringing this up because nowadays the authority means nothing in this world. And we have to be honest. It means nothing. And, yeah, for most people, they accept their authority, their respect for authority. But in the majority of this planet, you can see it day to day how authority is meaningless to people. And since the 1960s, there has been a massive change in the way we see and accept authority. So I'm going to give you a couple examples I found that really touched me. So one of them, citizens do not have the same respect for government's authority. We see it all the time, especially with the, the last couple of presidents and everything they've done. We may not accept the president for what he does or what he doesn't do, but the problem with society is... Society's stupid, with all respect. A person is smart, they're wise, God blesses a person amazingly. But when you put a group of people together in society, they become stupid. Because all it takes is one person with a big mouth to say something, he could change the whole crowd. In a positive way, or even in an evil way. So society, unfortunately, has pushed this country to the way it is, because people aren't willing to fight, especially Christians. The church has lost its power because they're not willing to fight against the enemy and everything that they're willing to do. And citizens nowadays would rather complain to the president for the rotten luck in life. Now, let's be honest, there's no such thing as luck. It's your choices that makes it your way. Yes, unfortunately, the government has some stuff to do with that because they control where you work, how you live, your taxes, and all that stuff. But that's what we accepted when the Israelites decided to go for a king over the Lord. God warned them what was going to happen when you put a person over them instead of God. And that filtered all the way around the world, around the world over the generations. The second one was, students do not have the same respect for a teacher's authority. Now, we see that every day. I've heard so many stories that's making me sick. I've heard stories where a teacher will pull a parent into the, a teacher-parent conference because a child is acting up, they're being disruptive, they're being vulgar, and then the parent is actually 10 times worse against the teacher than the child was. And you wonder why the kids are the way they are. It starts at home. you got to start teaching your kids and I'm talking to everybody that's online as well. You guys start teaching your kids to respect authority in all forms. Teachers are there to help our kids learn the most basic needs of what they need to make it out in the world. And our job is to help them survive out in the world. So there's the difference. Street smarts, book smarts. It's our job to teach our kids basically street smarts. How to survive out in an evil world. And that includes using this, the Bible. Teachers teach them how to do whatever they're going to do that they choose to do with their life. Now, hopefully, they're children of God. Hopefully, they feel what God wants them to do in their life, and they they go after that path. So, like, my oldest daughter has wanted to be a doctor since she was five years old. When she hit 10, she said the same thing. So, I think, if I remember right, by then, I was a Christian. So, I started asking God, God, Show me what you want for her. And all the signs were there that she should be a doctor. Like everything this kid does has almost proved to me this is where God wants her to be. 
So I have done everything I could as a father to encourage her to go down that path. First in school, how to handle it, not to screw around, not to joke around, because this is a serious path. This is I, I explained to her everything she's going to have to go through to go to that dream, that destiny, that desire. But then at home, I got to teach her about God, to read this book, and she's doing it. Because now she's asking me questions I can't even answer. Because she's seeing the Bible in a different way than I am. She's younger than I am, and she's a female. So I thank God because now he's forcing me to see the Bible in a whole new way. So I'm actually grateful that he's heard my prayers for my daughters. Now he's using them to help me evolve even more. We are supposed to teach our kids, but it is possible for God to use our kids to teach us. And my daughters have done that since they've been born. God has always used my daughters one way or another to help me get from a certain breaking point in my life. It forced me into a new direction. So I have to thank God that he's always been there even when I didn't know he was there. The next one is women do not have the same respect for men authority. Now we can say it both ways, but I'm going by just what I, I caught. Nowadays, in the world, women have robbed men of their authority in many relationships, and men have given it up. So let's be honest. Men, a lot of men have given up their authority. You want me to prove it? Look around this room. We're outnumbered, like what, 5, 10 to 1? Men have given up their authority in this world, and we see it all the time. But there are relationships where the man tries to do what he's supposed to in his household, and the woman fights him, stops him, turns the kids against him, and he feels useless and hopeless. And it's one of many reasons why he will never see God or does not seek God. So we have to start putting authority back where it's due. I'm not just saying that because I'm a guy. I respect all of my sisters for the position and place God has put you in the world, in my life, in this church. You have a purpose, just like we do. We have to give you the right to take your authority where you're supposed to. At the same time, we have to have the authority of where God puts us as well. <clears throat> Again, children do not have the same respect for parental authority. We all know this. Almost every parent in this room, I'm already seeing parents looking at their kids. <laughs> that's That's fact. In this day and age, children do not respect their parents. And I used to have to fight this with my kids, too. And at one point, I sat my daughters down. I said, how old am I? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, okay, fine. So I told them my age. I said, how old are some of your friends? So they told me, we'll, we'll, we'll say 13, because I don't remember how many years ago it was. So I asked them, who's been alive longer? And they're like, well, obviously you. I'm like, okay. So now if your friends tell you to do something and I tell you not to do something, who are you going to listen to? Like, and they kind of gave me this dumb, blank look. I said, look, if I'm trying to tell you not to do something, it's for a reason. I have more life experience. I've gone through a lot more than you have. There's a reason why I'm telling you not to do it. So if I tell you not to do something, your friends are telling you to go do it, who are you going to listen to? After this long conversation, they got what I was trying to teach them. And ever since then, the fighting that I've had with them about teaching them has decreased tremendously. 
even to this day when I try to teach them funny little stuff, and they finally get it, it's like, you think you learn to trust people by now? And they start laughing. It's like, yeah, I know. We know, kids, we know better than you do. Yeah, in this world, there's a lot that has changed since we've been in school, so we can't do certain things like you guys can. But when it comes to life, we have so much more knowledge than you do, than you'll ever have, because we're always going to be ahead of you. So if we're trying to tell you something, whether you like it or not, it's for a reason. If God commands you to listen to your parents, it's in the commandments. It's the fifth one. So if you don't believe me, go read the commandments. Go read the Bible. There's plenty of evidence that says to honor your father and your mother. Now, it's different if they're disrespectful, they're abusive. That's different. But if you have great parents that love you dearly, give you everything, but you give them a rash of trouble, God's not going to honor that. And believe me, you're not going to like the results if you keep it up. Uh, so I'm going to speed this up a little bit. Employees do not have the same respect for their employer's authority. People do not have the same respect for police authority. We're starting to see that in the world today. How many cities are out of control right now because of riots? If you want to make change in the world, riots are not the way to go. There's many positive ways to get your voice heard that could affect change. Causing a riot is not going to do anything but cause panic and chaos. And you, It might cause a change, but you're not going to like that change. You're going to even hate that change even more. So think twice about opening your mouth and causing trouble in that aspect. Now, can I say this one, Pastor? Because this one might hurt a couple of people. Christians no longer have the same respect for church authority or even God's authority or the Holy Spirit's authority. We see that all the time. Not just I'm not saying this church, because there's churches all over the world, but the, the average Christian has lost respect for church authority. Now, yes, there are or pastors out there that have abused their power, that have taught false doctrine. But there are pastors out there that are truly teaching sound doctrine. They're teaching exactly what God wants for his people in that moment, in that church at that time. But the people still don't respect the authority or God's authority. And how we say this, how many people do we know or heard or see in movies or wherever we see it out there that have been called for something and they fight it, they run they don't want nothing to do with their calling. Many people have had calls in this place. They're not here. They took off. They ran. That's an example of, I do not respect the church authority or God's authority. We need to start putting God's authority back where it belongs. He gave us life, and he can take it away in a, in a second. And I'm not saying that to threaten you or to scare you. God knows what's best for us. He called us. He made us for a specific reason. So why are we fighting him? And yes, he doesn't need us. Trust me, we're all replaceable. I say that to some of my employees at work, that I'm replaceable. Everybody thinks I'm all this high, mighty person at work because I'm so good at the system we use. And Chris, Chris has asked me for help. Pastors asked me help. Half my staff constantly ask me for help over and over again. Even my boss makes jokes about how good I am at Excel. But all that is nothing 
it's useless. It doesn't matter because in a moment, I could be pulled out by God. I could be fired. I could be laid off. Somebody will replace me. I'm not all-powering. I'm not all-knowing. All of us can replace. But God created us because he chooses and wants to use you. You have gifts. Gifts that I can't have. Gifts that Pastor don't have. Gifts that Chris doesn't have. Gifts that Pastor Millie doesn't have. Testimonies that we don't have. One way or another, we are supposed to come together as a whole, as a church body. And that's how we lift one another up. Especially those who don't know who they are yet. Meaning they lost their identity. And we're trying to get them to know who they are through Christ. Uh, so we're going to skip ahead to chapter, sorry, verse 4 through verse 6, which states, Who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God, one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. So we're talking about the desire that God has for all men to be saved. The only way to do this is by preaching the word, the gospel, the good news. The good news means there's a way to come home. Jesus Christ paid an ultimate debt that we can never pay, gave us the doorway to enter back into God's grace and the kingdom of heaven. But the reason why we have to do that, we have to speak the word, because yes, God is God, he's all-powering, he's all-knowing. But the most important piece of this, God gave humankind the ability of choice, free will. Yes, he could force us to accept him, to be saved, but he never intended us or designed us to be slaves. He didn't want us to be puppets. He wanted a relationship with us, meaning this is me, God's God. We work together as one. In a relationship, not I'm his slave or I'm his puppet and I do exactly what he says every time he says, whenever he says. That's not what God wants. So we have to remember at all times, we were once in the darkness. God saved you. God saved me. God saved my daughters and many others and millions of others. Why would you not want to share that gift to others? Especially if you know people who are worse off than you are. Even if they're not worse off and they're hiding it and they're not showing it, somewhere deep down, they're worse off, even though they may not want to speak it. So it's our responsibility to share God with others. And read... John chapter 14, verse 6 in your own time, but this will speak a little bit more about how Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. And I bring this up because it states that there is one God and one mediator, which is God and humanity. And I bring this up because Jesus died for us. We all know that. Jesus was a good man and he was honest. But if this, now bear with me. If, if this was not true, that means he was a liar and a lunatic, much less a prophet of God. But we know he's the truth in the way because his actions and everything he did 
everything he said proved who he was. He came down here to serve, not to be served. How did he serve his his men, his children? He healed them. He restored them. He brought them back to life. He did everything he could to get them to see God the Father, to heal them, to break, to, I mean, to heal the broken hearts. Whatever they were going through, he did what he had to to get them to where they saw God for who he really was. And I'm saying this because in the world today, the world does not believe there is only one way to salvation. Every religion has its different beliefs. But if you think about it this way, when somebody says there's more than one way, so you're telling me that Jesus dying on a cross wasn't good enough, that there has to be other ways? So let's back up. So why did he die on a cross? Because he paid an ultimate debt, which was death through sin. Sin is death. He had to pay that price because in the past, in the Old Testament, they always slaughtered animals. Well, animals are finite. They're temporary. Where God is eternal. He never ends. He never dies. He never passes away. So there had to be an eternal sacrifice that will allow all of us that same um, gift. But people out in the world like to keep saying that there's more than one way. I don't like the fact that I have to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior because I think there's a better way. So you're telling me there's more ways for God to punish us than death? The, The penalty that God said, the penalty for sin is death. It's not... Okay, you did this, so I'm going to break your arm. You did this, I'm going to throw you in jail. You did this, I'm taking everything from you. No, sin is sin. The only penalty that God said comes with sin is death. So there is no more than one way to replace that debt. So we have to try to get people to understand that Jesus is the only way because there's only one way to escape death. Uh, and a lot, of, and I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures to read on your own time to help show you examples or proof of what I'm talking about. Because the Bible even says that the, oh, I'm going to skip it because my brain's not working right in the second. So, um, there's multiple roads to God or salvation if followed sincerely or with a good heart or good intentions. How often in the world do you hear somebody say, well, that's not what I meant to do. I had you know, good intentions to this, but something always goes south. Well, that's not how it works. It's either good or bad, one way or the other. So on your own time, read Luke chapter 18, Leviticus chapter 10, Proverbs 14, 12. These are just a few examples of somebody living that kind of lifestyle, yet you see how God still dealt with them. You might have a good intention, but you're still doing something wrong, and it still leads to the ultimate penalty. All right, so now we're going to skip over to verse 8. 
Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifted up holy hands without anger or argument. Notice how he said, every place to pray. That means wherever you go, it gives you the ability to pray. You don't have to be in church or home to only pray. I caught myself, I didn't even, I, I love how I'm starting to do stuff unconsciously. The second I left my job and I started walking through the outside where all the ambulances park, I lifted my arms up and I started praising God and thanking God for work, getting out of work, walking. It started raining, so I was even thanking God for the rain. Even though I'm walking in the rain, I love rain. So I was thanking God, and I didn't even realize how many people were watching me, but I could care less. Because that's true worship. You don't care who's watching. You're thinking the one person that needs, well, that matters most. Let me say it that way. So it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you're praying for. It doesn't matter what you're thanking God for. It doesn't matter if you're on the road and you're driving by. Even today, I'm driving out of work. And as I turned the corner, I saw in my rearview mirror there was an accident. So I'm praying for the, the cops and the tow truck, the ambulance drivers that they're safe. Because of where it was, I didn't want them getting hit. I was praying that God protect the ones that got hurt. And it doesn't matter where you're at. You could drive by. I learned this from Pastor. I never thought of it until he started teaching me this. When I'm driving down the street and I see kids, I start praying for them now. And the way he taught me how to do it. Because I never saw it that way. So I start praying that you know they become the pastors, the prophets, evangelists, the healers, teachers, you know, not on top of God, keep them safe. Because if they're jogging, you know, I don't want somebody up to try to kidnap them. I don't want them getting hit by a car because somebody doesn't see them. So I have almost gotten myself to the point where almost wherever I go, I pray one way or another for whatever I'm seeing. So Paul is teaching Timothy to pray wherever he goes, in all ways, in all places, lifting up holy hands. That only means that holy means you're setting yourself apart for, for God. So it means you set yourself apart from the world, the world mindset, to pray, to intercede, to petition, to ask for God's help for all circumstances. But you notice how it says, without anger or argument. Because if you pray, especially in public, if you pray in anger or malice or arguments, you're actually going to do more harm than good. You may not look like it. You might have the facial features that you're all happy and dory. But people watch everything you do and listen to everything you say. And if you're doing it out of anger, somebody's going to catch on. Trust me. I used to, I used to just go to work leaning against the wall while I'm waiting for the elevator, and I would just get lost in thought. And people would always think I was angry. I'm just thinking, but people think I'm angry. So I even, in that little instance, I've had to learn to control every body motion I do because people take everything the wrong way. I'm not angry. I'm not even tired. I'm just lost in thought. So I've had to learn to force myself to control Everything I do, even when my mind is not there, because it's somewhere else. Either it's I'm thinking of something God showed me, taught me, I'm praying, I'm thinking about what I got to do for a day, I'm thinking of what I'm supposed to do when I get home. I'm lost in a thought. So I've had to learn 
to self-control. And, and I'm getting there. I'm not perfect, but I've come a long way of controlling that. Because one of the things, Pastor, you used to always be on me about is you got to control that. You got to get better. You got to get it better. Because my emotions, you could see it all over me, no matter what I did, no matter where I went. So remember, pray everywhere you go, but watch how you do it. People are watching. You don't have any idea how people see you. I remember one day I was driving somewhere and I saw Dave and Maria walking through the parking lot. So I drove up right next to him and said something to him, and Maria jumped. I thought it was funny. But <laughs> you never know who's going to see you. And I've taught my daughters that quite well. And if you don't believe me, ask them. Because every single time we go out, doesn't matter where we go, I see at least at least one person I know. Everywhere I go, it doesn't matter where we go, there's always somebody. So they learn early on. And they don't know how, how much I know these people. But I make them think, you can't go nowhere without me knowing. And I'm not lying because a lot of people see me. A lot of people now know they're my daughters. So at some point, if my daughters do something wrong, I'm going to hear about it. Trust me, believe. It happened to my brother. My brother skipped school. A, uh, a close friend of my dad's told my dad. My dad left work, went and found that boy. And I got home and I took off because I didn't even want to be a part of what was going on. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give you just a quick little testimony. Because worship is a lifestyle. It's everywhere you go, everything you do, how you act, and how you behave. Think of this as, and even the, I don't remember which book it is, Paul states how life is like uh, a race. And God showed me, and I forgot I even did this. When I was in sophomore year, I was on a track team. I did track freshman, sophomore, junior years. So my sophomore year of high school, I was on a track team. Uh, I joined, I think it was the two-mile rate uh, run. So we'd always go out and practice. We'd run all over the city for, for exercise. So vacation came up. I started rollerblading to school every day. Now, I'm on vacation. I'm choosing to rollerblade four miles to school, run for, I think it was two to four hours, and rollerblade home another four miles. Did that for a week. Because I did that and I never stopped running, by the time the end of the season came, I was running nine miles plus a day. Now I'm saying that because for me, that's the best I've ever been able to run. I always tried to push myself to do it. I always saw myself as um, like a short, di short distance runner because I played football a lot. I played hockey a lot. I was never good at long distances, but because of that, I got really good. So the following year, became a junior. Now I got lazy. Save vacation come around, I decided not to go practices every day. So why am I saying this? Because that year, I lost everything I had gained. Only skipping one week of practices, I had lost everything I had earned and gained. I couldn't run a couple of miles, forget nine miles. My, my lung strength wasn't there. My legs couldn't do it anymore. It took a lot of hard work to get my body back up to where it was because I decided to skip out a week. 
Now, why am I saying this? How does that relate to biblical? When I first became a Christian, I started reading that Bible like there was no tomorrow. I had so many questions that I needed answered, and I was reading that Bible like several books a day. Like, forget chapters. Like, when I got into it, I'd read for hours. I'd be up until 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock at night when I should be going to bed because of work. But, like, I, I was so pumped up that I couldn't put it down. So it got to a point where a couple of chapters were starting. I'm going to be honest. Uh, they were boring, so I skipped them. And I kept going, I kept going. So next thing I know, some of the questions I needed answered, he tells me are in the books I skipped. You don't like that, huh? I tried to skip the process. Because I felt learning about the genealogy and all the different generations, all the numbers, like really, come on. So I skipped them. I skipped several books. Only to find out some of my most desperate needed answers were in the books I was skipping. You can't skip the process. It's Yes, life is painful. Life is hard. But God promised us he would be there every step of the way. Now, he never said we would be able to skip all the problems, but he said he would be there with us through them. And I, I, I know Pastor taught for months on this before about the process. I'm going to reiterate it tonight. Do not skip the process. You will actually hurt yourself more than you can re- realize. One week, one week destroyed everything I spent years working on. For track, because I loved track. One week destroyed three years of work. So take that as a biblical thing. Read this every night. Pray every night. Build that relationship with God. Don't shortchange yourself. But also do it in a pace, in a way you can handle Don't go too far too fast. Don't try to take too much on all at once because you're going to fail. I had the habit of trying to fix too many things all at the same time, and I kept failing until one day somebody told me, just do one thing at a time. I think it was my boss, if I remember, because I I was always stressing out at work because there's too much to do. I couldn't accomplish it at all. I felt like I was forgetting stuff. So he, he had to sit me down and say, look, Write it down, just work it one at a time. Accomplish what you can accomplish, even if you have to skip to make it easier because you work on one big one, this one, and then a couple of small ones and a big one. You make progress. If you're not making progress or you can't see that progress, you're going to feel like you're failing, and now you're actually going to push yourself backwards. Take a step at a time, work it on one problem at a time, and you'll get there. Don't beat yourself up. Just be patient with yourself because sometimes being patient with yourself is harder to be patient with others. I speak that from experience. I had a lot of patience for other people, but pastor had to keep reminding me that I had to be patient with myself because I was so impatient with my healing process. But the problem was I was trying to skip the process. I just wanted to be done and over with all the pain I was dealing with. But the thing was, if God healed me like that, what testimony would I have to help people grow? What testimony would I have to help people through a divorce or almost losing your children or almost committing suicide? 
what could I do to help anybody if I just skip the whole process? I'm here for a reason. You're here for a reason. So before I hand over to Pastor, God put it in my heart to have everybody pray when you go home tonight. Pray that the hearts of many will open up and be prepared to receive and feel God's love and to accept his truth. Why? I w- I've been... I don't really care for going on Facebook that much. The only reason what I do is because I try to promote the church and I try to promote positive sayings when I see it. I don't even really talk to my family on it. Um, but when I saw this, it kind of bothered me. The other reason why you want to make worship your lifestyle is because it gets you closer to God, but it also protects you, it prepares you for the evil that is here and the evil that is going to come. So I'm not going to speak a lot on it, but I'm just going to briefly tell you why worship is important. There is an activist out there for Black Lives Matter that is calling for the destruction of Jesus Christ statues in churches because he claims it shows white supremacy, oppression, and racism. So now this gentleman has been proven numerous times to to be pushing false claims. But he's still out there doing it if people are listening. Now I've also seen online that they're talking about getting rid of Christopher Columbus' statue because he was racist. I'm starting to see so many different evidences that this world is really, especially this country, is trying to pull God out more and more. Forget the schools. Now he's getting pulled out of just about everything. We need to be rooted more now than ever in this book. We need our relationship stronger with God more than ever because if not, you're going to get fooled by this, by this nonsense. It says he's known for pushing false claims, but people are still listening. It's up to all of us and more out there to start interceding against these kind of people. So I thank you for listening to me tonight. Just remember, prayer interceding in worship. Worship is everything and everywhere. I thank you for joining in tonight. I pray that God blesses you all. If you ever have a chance to come check us out, we're at 1060 Worcester Street. You can also see us on all social medias at TRC413. And our website is www.resurrectionspreefield.org. May God bless you on this night, and we'll see you on Sunday. God bless you.